you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Let me reintroduce myself. My name is Amelia Monahan, as you can tell by the bulletin, scratched out a little bit. Hopefully you can read Harper's handwriting. It can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I've been a longtime member of the youth group here at Andover, and it is a huge honor to be asked to speak with you all today. You might remember me, seeing as I've done this once before. The first time was last Sunday with Davis and Sarah, and apparently I did a good enough job, so I got asked to do it again. So bear with me, I'm 17 years old, and I obviously don't have any formal learning experience on how to write a sermon. Um, But luckily, Sarah over here was an amazing help, and luckily, I am enrolled in AP US history. Yes, I know, American history is not anywhere in the Bible. I know that from contextualization. That's a big fancy word there, Dad. Um, (laughs) um, As a good AP student I am, and a completely clueless sermon writer, I started with what I knew. My history class has a process for analyzing historical documents, and I found it could be applied here because I think it's safe to say the Bible is a very historical document. Um, So, after step one, placing the text at its point of history, aka before American history, um, I moved on to step two, which is selecting keywords from the passage. I now like to read out the keywords I underlined for you guys. At the top, we have sacrifices, repent, suffered, killed, perished, and fig. <laughs> because honestly, if I included figs, if somebody set a fig in front of me, I don't think I could tell you that was a fig. Um, so I started with that one because it seemed like the easiest of all the words I was given. Um, and I'm now very well educated on the health benefits of the fruit, if you're interested. But that did not bring me any closer to today's text. So here's where Sarah stepped in. As the rest of the words were very scary, and the first half of the Gospel reading today is not an easy message. So to cut straight to the heart of it, I'll ask you a question. As Jesus asked his audience then, I now ask you, in a little more modern fashion, does God make bad things happen and say, oh yeah, well, they deserved it, they're pretty bad people? No, right? Today, we find that that idea dated and a little absurd. When someone develops something serious like cancer, no one questions what sin they must have committed to deserve that punishment from God. When serious tragedies or horrifying events occur, no one thinks that's just karma. So why does it happen? You know, it's easy to blame God for this, to question him, to wonder why he didn't step in. I would know. I've been there. On May 31st, 2021, I received a Snapchat from one of my good friends around 10 o'clock at night. It was late, and I was getting ready for bed. The next morning, I got up, and I responded to him. 
I was in summer school at the time, so I continued on like any normal day, getting ready for virtual class. The news came at 9 o'clock, and I guarantee everyone in this room can remember, the can remember when their realities were completely changed by an inevitable step in life, death. Until that moment, death feels like a faraway concept that only happens to people once they've lived long and happy lives. But the truth is, death is unpredictable, it is sudden, and it is messy. And I remember standing in my sunroom after hearing the news that there was an accident that claimed two Lexington Catholic students' lives, and I prayed. I knew the car crash happened where several of my cross-country and track friends lived, so I prayed and I prayed, and I asked God for not to be one of them. But at nine, I realized my prayers were a little too late, and that friend that I had so carelessly Snapchatted back was gone, and it had been just minutes after his snap to me, along with one of my teammates, the older brother of one of my closest running friends. It's tough. That's stuff you see on the news, and no one really expects to go through it. And this type of tragedy leaves a lot of unanswered que questions, a lot of wishing for what should have been. My friend should have gotten to wear the spikes he'd bought, and he should have gone to prom, he should have graduated high school, and he should have gone to a school to be a dentist like he planned on. He should have, they should have lived long and happy lives. So why God, you know? They were fantastic people and Christians, so why did God take them so early? And the truth is, we will never understand. Bad things happen to good people. In the first part of the reading, Jesus is honest with the audience. Those people didn't deserve what happened to them, just like my teammates, but yet stuff like that still happens. And we have to have faith and know that in those accidents, that bad news, that is not God's plan. Think about what we know about God. He is good. God doesn't make mistakes. God loves us. God isn't punishing us or teaching a lesson. But evil exists in our world, and God is not the source of this evil. Humans suffer because there is something wrong with our world, and there is brokenness in every corner. No matter how much you try, you can't avoid it. You can try to shield your kids, your friends, your family, yourself, but evil will catch up to you at some point in life. It's hard to understand why God, a God so amazing, would allow this to happen. And to be honest, I can't say I know. But what I do know is that God understands and God feels our pain. He came down to earth in human form to share in our sufferings. He stepped into our lives to do something about the brokenness. He chose to suffer and die for us. He took all the grave, all the gravity of humans' brokenness and suffering and sin, and he took it to the grave. Evil doesn't get the last words in our lives. There's still hope and love and goodness in our lives, even after such tragedies. It's hard to see through the pain, but you can look back and see it in the way your friends surrounded you, the casserole someone made, and in all the little ways someone shows they're there for you. Jesus himself suffered, and he has ensured our eternal victory, so, that in, so in that one can find hope. Maybe he isn't giving us a why this stuff happens, but he's certainly giving us a promise to be with us through it. Something we learn from a young age is that God is mighty, and that is completely true. So if a God is all this powerful, why can't he just stop the evil from happening? My Lexington Catholic theology teacher explained it to the class this way. When God created humanity, he gave up a little power. 
He chose not to have complete control over us. God wants us to love him and desire a relationship with him. The analogy my teacher gave us was that of a robot. We can program robots to do whatever we want, whenever we want. So when a robot says, I love you, there's a little less value to it because the person who created the robot had to make it say those words, which takes away the deep meaning they have. When a person says to you, they are choosing to make that declaration. It means more when it comes from the heart without any coercing. God chose to do something similar. He gave us free will. By doing this, God chose not to have full control over us. This doesn't mean he's disengaged with humanity, but he, he is very closely involved, but he's not a tyrant. He won't make you say those words. The first part of the reading feels very different from the parable that follows it. When Sarah first gave me the verses for my sermon today, I was excited. I mean, the parable was like seven sentences or so, short and sweet, so it can't get much better. But once I started diving into it, it got a little harder. First, you have to understand the symbolism. The vineyard owner, the guy who has just run out of patience with the tree, but for good reason. He created all this for the tree. He has provided it with all the necessary things for it to produce food. It's got water, good soil, even as a gardener specifically caring for that tree. But yet, it still won't produce fruit for him. God is that vineyard owner. He gave us his only son, Jesus, the gardener, to care for us, the fig tree. In this parable, we are rejecting God. God is very patient, but he still says, cut it down. Luckily, Jesus steps in. He is the mediator, bargaining to get us another chance. All God wants is for us to acknowledge him in our lives, whether it's in how we treat people, prayer, giving, etc. God wants to play a part in our lives. For us to show our gratitude for that extra chance we've been given, we have to repent. This reading drives home the urgency of repentance. If life is such a fragile thing, and humans are vulnerable creatures, Jesus tells us we can't push back our relationship with God. We can't tell ourselves, oh, eventually I'll do this. Our relationship with God shouldn't come at the end of our lives. It should be now. Jesus is reminding his audience that now is their chance to make things right in their relationship with God, and we should be grateful for this chance. For me, this last summer was a very painful reminder that real life is precious and delicate, and you just never know. The parable of the fig tree reminds us that each year of life we are given is a gift. And it's not God's will that such tragedies and horrors happen in our world, but they do. And the tree of the fruit I'd never heard of was given another year of life. It has the chance to produce fruit. This parable is a reminder to us to not take for granted the extra year of life we've been given. We have the chance to go out and produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We should continue to live until our final moments when we are called back to our Creator. Imagine you only have one year left to live. What would you do? What would you change? Would you travel the world? Would you tell your friends and family you love them more? Would you, what would you do with your material possessions? How can you win at life, not just in the long run, but each year? As we come to the table for communion, think about the first part of the prayer of thanksgiving. What do we do? We repent. We are repenting so that we may receive the grace of God in our lives. Pray with me. Dear Lord, let us remember to give honor and thanks to you always. When our hurts turn, you bring them back to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.